0: Hello, welcome to Pep Talks, People Empowering People, where we interview everyday people telling their stories of not-so-everyday resiliency. We hope to inspire you to get through your adversity after learning their stories. Pep Talks is brought to you by Mind Over Matter Books, children and adults' books, that allow you to learn skills to overcome your adversity so that you can live a more resilient life. We hope you enjoy today's episode. With me today is 14-year-old Maria Bulis, a teenager who was diagnosed four years ago while in the fourth grade with thyroid cancer. Maria has undergone three surgeries, and three isolated radioactive iodine treatments. Listen to Maria's story of her resiliency as her childhood turned into quite the medical journey. Well, welcome, Maria. How are you doing today? Doing. You're Doing good. I really appreciate you taking your time out of your day to interview with me. I followed your story for the last four years with your mother, who I work with, Evie Bulis. And I've been praying for you for these four years as well. And now you're finishing eighth grade uh, during this pandemic uh, and not really able to see any of your friends the last couple of months. How are you holding up during this, this time right now, this quarantine time?
1: I'm good. I like talk to my friends on FaceTime and stuff. So
0: Good. Keeping yourself socially active, just distance apart. Good for you. Good for you, and you're heading to the high school next year, right? and you guys are in Brexville. Is that correct? Mm-hmm. Good yeah. for you all right, so Maria, why don't you take me back to four years ago? Were you feeling sick at all? Like what was going on that you even got well, this like for a couple of years before
1: that, I had this like lump on my neck, so like we went to the doctor a few times. And they would do blood work, and they would just say nothing's wrong. You will you might have, like, hypothyroidism in the future. But then, like, finally, like, a friend of ours said you should take her to an endocr- endocrinologist to, like, get that checked out, so.
0: Wow. And right now, you're you're talking you have a damaged vocal cord so listeners just want you to be aware of that she's going to have another surgery procedure done to fix that vocal cord but um, obviously with the thyroid being so close um, that has affected her ability to speak so her mother is with us today as well to help with this interview and I appreciate you being here too Um, so thank goodness for this friend family friend who suggested that you go see an endocrinologist. What happened when you guys went and saw the endocrinologist?
1: Um, so the endocrinologist like felt around my neck and like, there were basically just a bunch of bumps, like lymph nodes and stuff. And she had to get like the head of the department or whatever it was. And um, then we had to go in for an ultrasound after that.
0: So So, and how were you with all this? Were you concerned at all? Did you feel any different? Yeah, I was like pretty scared. What did you think it might be?
1: Oh, well, at first they told me it was just going to be like a cyst. But then like at the ultrasound, the lady like was on the phone with the doctor or something. And like, she wouldn't tell us what was happening, but like it sounded pretty scary. so.
0: So, you had a, probably a little bit of anxiety there. You hear them talking and you don't know what they're talking about, but they're yeah. talking about you and kind of hoping that it's just this benign cyst. But uh, when did you actually, when were you actually told what it was? Who was with you at the time?
1: Um, so, like, I had to get a biopsy and, like, they had to make sure it wasn't lymphoma or anything. But I was there with, like, my parents and my doctor. And that was when, like, my surgeon, we had to do a biopsy to rule out, like, different kinds of thyroid cancer. And that's when I found out I had papillary thyroid cancer, so.
0: Papillary thyroid cancer. And what did they tell you about papillary thyroid cancer? They told me that it was
1: very treatable, but the surgery was, like, pretty dangerous, so.
0: And so here you are, this little fourth grader, I mean. like barely 10 years old, and you're told that you're going to have to have surgery, that this is pretty serious, uh, you had to be pretty nervous at this time. Yeah, I was. And did you tell your friends at this time? Or how did you, who did you no, tell? I didn't really tell anyone, I think, like my friends from school. You didn't tell them at the time? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And um, so how long after you had this diagnosis, did you actually have the surgery?
1: Um, It wasn't too long. Like I was diagnosed in February, and then the surgery was done on March 10th. So it was like two weeks.
0: Wow. That's pretty quick. That doesn't give you time to think much about it, which is kind of good. Yeah. And going into the surgery, who did you have to support you during this, this scary time?
1: Um, It was mostly, like, my family, like, they were all really there for me, so.
0: Wonderful. Yes, you have a very close family. You have three other sisters and your parents, and uh, you're very blessed with with, uh, those sisters of yours, I'm sure, and your parents. So you go into the surgery. Do you know how long it took you? Yeah, it was 12 hours. Oh, my goodness, 12-hour surgery. What do you remember going in or coming out of the surgery?
1: Well, I remember when I was first going in, like the doctors were all just trying to make me feel better. And they were like asking me about school and like my favorite movies. So I was really grateful for that, that I wasn't like so scared.
0: They were hoping to take your mind off of of things and keeping you engaged. That was.
1: And then I remember like afterwards, I was really agitated. And like, I didn't want anyone to come in to like visit me. So there were a bunch of people in the waiting room, but like, I didn't really get to see anyone yet.
0: And were you in pain? Do you remember feeling pain after the surgery? I mean, kind of, but most of it was just, like, I was really agitated, and, like,
1: I had, like, tubes up my nose and whatever, so.
0: That's really scary to come out of a surgery, a 12-hour surgery, and you're, like, alone or with strangers, the doctors and nurses, and their tubes, and you, you probably couldn't communicate at that time, could you?
1: Well, I could, and, like, my parents were there, so.
0: So you were able to actually talk after that surgery? Yeah.
1: Okay. And I was like breathing on my own,
0: so. Wow, that's impressive. And how long did you stay in the hospital? Uh, Like nine days. Okay. So you, you could talk and breathe on your own. And you were out in the hospital for about nine days. And then you went home. You didn't go back to school right after that, did you?
1: No, I didn't go back to school until like after spring break.
0: Gotcha. And how did you recuperate back at home? How did that all feel? Were you in a lot of pain?
1: No, I like refused to take any pain meds. Like I really wasn't in pain at all. So.
0: Wow. You must have a high pain tolerance. And you ended up with quite a scar going across your your neckline, didn't you? Yeah. Yeah. And how did you feel about that scar? Did that bother you at all?
1: Yeah, I mean, like, I remember, like, my parents wanted to take me out to eat, and I, like, refused to go, because the scar just, like, made me so nervous.
0: And are you still nervous about that scar?
1: I mean, not really. Like, sometimes a kid or something will say something about it, but I just kind of ignore them.
0: Right. Kids kids can be, kids can be, um, (laughs) yeah, they don't have they don't have filters. Sometimes they just say things and they don't realize that it's invading privacy or perhaps not really kind or respectful. And maybe they don't mean to be hurtful, but they, you know, kids, kids say the darndest things. So, so you returned to school after spring break. How did you feel like health wise, physically, emotionally, how did you feel after coming back to school?
1: I felt really good. Like all my friends at that point obviously knew what happened and they were all there for me. So
0: yeah. You had a nice friend support. You had to feel a lot of love from a lot of kids and a lot of people in your life during that time. Didn't you? Yeah. Yeah. That's pretty impressive. But now it wasn't over then. That was your first of three surgeries. So, and that's fourth grade. Mm -hmm. Tell me how this progressed then. What happened Uh then? The
1: second surgery I actually had when I was in the hospital, like I had these tubes on my neck and I guess like there was something wrong with them and I had to have a surgery. So it wasn't like a major surgery or anything. They just needed to fix something.
0: Okay, gotcha. So then the, the third surgery, however, was like a whole other incident. Yeah. And how long after that first surgery was that third surgery? Well, it was
1: like right after sixth grade. So it was a couple years.
0: And why did they have to have that surgery? What was happening then?
1: Well, I still had some, like, I still had some, um, like, pieces of things, and I had lung meds, too, so they wanted
0: to, like, see what was going on. So Maria's mother, Evie Bulis is sitting next to Maria and jotting down some notes for her that we're picking up in the background. So I'm going to let Evie share a little bit about this topic.
2: So when she had the surgery, we knew about the lung mets. The, the mass had gone down into her neck, and that's why the surgery was so long. They actually had had doctors ready because they might have had a crack open her chest, but thankfully, that's why the scar is so big. They were able to get everything out of the chest. However, the lung mets were still there, and when the lung mets are still there, the thyroid cancer is still present and can spread. So the following year, her numbers were high still for thyroglobulin, And she had a scan that showed her lung beds were clear, but it was a false scan. So they're like, there's got to be more in her neck. So it can regrow in the thyroid bed in the neck. So they went in and removed things from her neck again, the second surgery, but it was a smaller incision. It was a lot less invasive, obviously. So the second surgery wasn't nearly as intense as the first one. And then that's why she does those radioactive iodine because we still are working on the lung mets. They haven't really responded to the radioactive iodine, but um, that's why we're working with a specialist at MD Anderson because our doctors, you know, obviously here we have radioactive iodine, but there's some new treatments for lung mets that this doctor is kind of pioneering and piloting. And he's trying to find what mutation Maria has which is why the radioactive iodine isn't killing the lung mets to be able to uh, prescribe the right drug therapy to eliminate those lung mets.
0: And you say lung
2: mets? Is that- metastases. So her thyroid cancer, because it had spread through the chest, it had spread to the lungs. So her lung metastases are still there and have pretty much been unchanged in four years. Some have gone up, some have gone down, but pretty much stable. But we obviously want to get rid of those lung mets so that's why we're working with a specialist at thyroid at um, md anderson
0: okay now tell me about these isolated radioactive iodine treatments that you're having for this what does that look like and feel like and where are you going for for this
1: it was like really scary so the first time i had to stay in like my little sister's room And basically, I just had like a tiny air mattress that to stay on. And I was still in fourth grade. So I was really scared to be alone like that. And I couldn't even like be near my parents. So,
0: yeah. So what did they, like, how did this even happen? Like, did they, how did they inject this into you in the first place? And where did that happen? So I had
1: to go to the hospital to um, nuclear medicine. And they like did some scans. And then they basically just gave me this pill and said like, it'll like, you're fine to go in the car ride home, but then like you need to stay away from your parents and everyone else. So
0: so for a week you had to stay away from everybody. You kind of had to put the food right outside your door. And yeah. so and why did they have to stay away from you?
1: Well, because I was like radioactive. So like the reason I had something wrong with my thyroid was like had to do with radiation, whether it was like from an x-ray or something, we really don't know. But basically, since I was radioactive, I could have hurt somebody else's thyroid, too. Like that. Wow. And scary. Yeah. And so the pills were also, like, radioactive iodine. And that's what, like, the thyroid pieces are, like, attracted to. So um, I wasn't able to have iodine for, like, two weeks to completely starve those lung mats and, like, you know, the pieces from my thyroid. And then, like, when I took the radioactive iodine and made it more effective... But, like, I remember it was, like, the end of fourth grade, and we were having, like, a party, and I couldn't eat anything there because it all had iodine, so.
0: Oh, my goodness. Such a difficult time as it is. Now you're, you know, in kind of uh, late elementary, middle school years, and, and now things are a little different. You couldn't eat then. You're You're going through this treatment that makes you stay away from everybody, including your family, for a week. Yeah. And, and you had three of them. So when were each of them? One was in fourth grade, and then when were the other two?
1: They were in fifth grade, and then the one after that was, like, before seventh grade.
0: And do you have any more scheduled? No, they're not working, so that's why we're going to MD Anderson. So so now you've, you've had these three radioactive um, iodine treatments, and they're not working. So what is next? How are you doing right now and is there anything planned in the future for treatment? Well, they
1: had to like get a test done on like my thyroid to find out like since I have a mutation which basically is why it isn't working. So they have to get a test done on like my thyroid to find out what mutation I have and then from there they have like new medications that'll help like cure that or fix that. So
0: So those treatments aren't working, but they have other um, pills that may be other medications that may work. So do you have any appointments coming up in in the next couple months that you know?
1: I just had a like virtual doctor's appointment too with my surgeon. So we were talking about getting my voice fixed and stuff.
0: Are you looking forward to having that fixed? Yeah. Can you feel it different? Does it hurt to talk? No, it doesn't. It's just like I can't be as
1: loud as I used to be, which like with speech and debate and stuff, it makes it a lot harder.
0: Oh, I understand that's affecting your speech and debate. Okay. I get that. And are you going to be on the debate team when you get to high school?
1: Yeah, that's part of the reason why I want to get it fixed now. So that'll be better off in high school.
0: I get it. Very important for speech and debate. Let's talk about some of the things that you're doing to help yourself get through this. The last four years have been quite a journey for you. What are you doing to take care of you and, and still be a kid and enjoy life?
1: Well, now I do speech and debate too. So like, that's like, I really love doing speech and debate. And I also do Goya with like my friends from church, which is a lot of fun. So. What is Goya. So it's Greek Orthodox Youth Association. Basically, like we have basketball tournaments and dances and stuff with a lot of other churches in the area. So Uh,
0: nice social um, Greek social opportunity for you. Yeah. Very nice. Wonderful. And you have your so you have your Greek support system, your family support system. You have your friends at school. You're involved in speech and debate. You sound like quite the well-rounded young lady. I'm really impressed with your your resiliency. You seem to be very strong. And every time I talk to your mother about you, you seem to um, just, you have like a, a strong pain um, resistance and you seem to just keep going, going about your business, going about your day, being the kid that you should be, enjoying your life. Uh, what is your, what is your hope in the future? Like, do you ever dream about what you want to be when you grow up?
1: I want to be a lawyer.
0: Be a lawyer. I'm seeing a family trend here. Your father, yeah. your older sister, and, and you?
1: Yeah. Pretty much everyone
0: in our family wants to be lawyers, so. That's awesome. Now, are you number three? Are they two older than you? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And is the oldest going to college to be a lawyer, too?
2: Yeah. You yeah. just talked to
0: Pammy, yeah. Oh, that one. Okay, Pammy. Then the second oldest is going to school to be a lawyer. Wow, yeah. everybody. Good for you. You have to have your sister, your own sister firm or something. <laughs> it would be fun. Um, what would you say to another kid who was diagnosed with any kind of cancer? What would you tell them to give them advice?
1: I would say like the th- same thing the doctors told me it's very treatable and like there's, it's really not as bad as it might seem or as scary as it might seem.
0: Good. Good advice. Cause it's a very scary time, A scary time for anybody to go through let alone a kid who's supposed to be out playing and enjoying life. And next thing you know, you're having surgeries and you're stuck in your bedroom for a week and, You know, your your childhood got kind of got turned upside down a little bit, but yeah, sounds like you didn't allow cancer to rob your childhood, did you? (sighs) No. Or, or, you know, rob you of your dreams and rob you of what you want to do. You're going to continue to live life to the fullest. Evie, anything from you? Is there anything you'd like to share with parents of kids (laughs) that maybe have cancer?
2: Yeah, I mean, it was just such a um, the experience really last from the day we found out that there could be something wrong was a Monday when we did the ultrasound and we found the masses. And, you know, by day five, we got the diagnosis. We were told that, yes, this is treatable, but because um, her mass was so extensive that the surgery would be the first major thing we needed to get through because there could have been a lot of damage done in the surgery. But once we could make it through the surgery... Um, There was definitely treatments and things out there that they would be able to treat it. And we would, you know, she would live a normal life. Um, We're just very proud of Maria and everything she does. She's always a funny story. And I'm surprised she didn't tell you this. Up until that day in fourth grade, she had perfect attendance. And when I told her we needed to go for an ultrasound, she was refusing. She didn't want to miss school. She didn't want to ruin her perfect attendance record. And even that day while we were at the ultrasound, I agreed and I let her go to school that day. So um, it was like a 10.30 appointment. So I picked her up at 10 o'clock, took her to the ultrasound. And then, you know, there was complications. They didn't want us to leave. And Maria was begging, can we please go? I have to go back to school. I don't want to be marked absent for the day. Um, so it, it just amazing how your life could turn upside down in just a matter of five days. We went from being worried about perfect attendance to, you know, she had cancer. So, and we're just so proud of her because, um, you know, through middle school, they do this kick it for cancer. And she asked if, you know, she could have a birthday party and all the money could be donating to donated to kick it for cancer. So for the last three years, she's, We've done a big Halloween birthday party, and she's asked for no presents, just donations. And she's been able to raise over eight thousand dollars for Kick It for Cancer, which helps local, you know, local families dealing with cancer. And she always tells us how lucky she is because, you know, it has been so treatable, and we've had it under control. So she's trying to help others. So she, in fact, she pulled out her Kick It note. She was showing it to me right now, and they said the money she's raised has actually funded one whole week of research for children's cancer. But we're very proud of her because she's always thinking of others, always. Oh. She was always worried about us, too, through this and how we were feeling. And, you know, she was just a child, and she's just that kind of person where she's always thinking about others.
0: You're a good kid. Evie, you've done a nice job with these girls. Thank uh, you. You've raised leaders. Um, you've raised girls who are very caring and compassionate, strong You're going to be strong woman. and a whole family of lawyers. Maria, I have prayed for you for four years and will continue to pray for you. You are an amazing young girl. Your childhood was changed, but it didn't stop you from living your life to the fullest. And I love that your birthday, it's a time of you getting gifts and it being all about you. You turned it around to, oh, no, let's help all these local families who are affected by cancer. And let's. I'll give money to them. Eight thousand dollars in—that's a lot of money to raise for this organization. And cancer costs a lot of money to families. So I'm so impressed that you've made Kick It for Cancer kind of part of your journey and helping them. Uh, you just—you are an amazing young woman. You have a growth mindset. You know, not that victim mindset. You've got that mindset where you're going to make an opportunity out of it. And here you have already as a young child reached out and helped other families. So I love that about you and I'm impressed and I'm, I'm grateful for you taking your time during the day to share your story in hopes to help other kids who are diagnosed with cancer and to help other moms who have kids with cancer. So thank you, Evie, And thank you, Maria. I hope you guys you. continue to stay well and I will keep Post it, of course, through Evie on how you're doing. Okay, Maria? Thank you. Thank you. The talking points that we learned from Maria Bolas are that some cancers are very treatable. And cancer may not be as bad or as scary as it may seem. And cancer doesn't have to rob you of your childhood or your dreams. And you can still make opportunities to help others at a time when you are also in need. Today's gratitude is in the middle of difficulty lies opportunity. Well, that's it for today's interview. We hope our guests helped you overcome some of your adversity and learn some new resiliency skills to help you to live a more fulfilled life. Keep on dancing and don't stop believing.